Hello and welcome. This is the Messy Truth About Leading People podcast with Nikki Roth, Megan Mahoney, and Gavin Fenn-Smith. The podcast is produced by Rear Welsh. Hi there. Welcome to the Messy Truth About Leading People podcast. I am Gavin. I'm here with Nikki. Hi, Nikki. Hi. How are uh, you? I'm good, thanks. And Megan. Hi. Hello, everyone. Hi. So we're going to talk today about resistance to change, resisting change, which we think is useful for all kinds of people, not just those who are in team leadership roles, but all kinds of people as well, who you know may be struggling with coming to terms with things that they have to change in their behavior to continue to make their lives and themselves successful. So who would like to kick us off? I can start. So in conversations that we've had over a long period of time, we notice that there are leaders that we work with who seem to embrace change and move easily into that because they've reached some kind of critical moment where if I don't do this, bad things might happen. But we also experience as coaches, those people who really deeply engage in the coaching conversations might really open up a lot of, uh, you know, sort of history and feelings and insights about why they may do the behaviors that require them to make some changes. And yet when we try to help them, you know, break it down and figure out the steps to, okay, you know what the issue is, you know, here are some of the tools and the steps that you can take. They absolutely don't make the change. And so we're having a conversation about why that might happen. Why somebody, even with insight, even with open sharing, why they might resist it. Yeah, and even with a intellectual understanding of where they are and where they've ended up. Maybe we should illustrate that actually with an example. I don't know if you have one to hand, but I think there are typical examples when you think of team leadership, right? So examples where certain behaviors have made someone very successful up to this point, but then once they reach that point, they may not be as successful with those behaviors. I'm thinking of things like, you know, if, if you have a perfectionist tendency, for example, if it's really important for you to have everything tied down, everything locked down, would have brought you a long way in your life and helped you become really successful at education, university, and so on with exams and studying. When it comes to leading a team of people, though, that might be a behavior that is not particularly effective as other people find it very difficult to follow you and keep up with you. Now, an individual might be able to figure out where that behavior has come from, what might be the origins of that story they've told themselves about why that kind of level of excellence is so important. However, they may not be able to go to a place to change any of that while still understanding the sources of it. That's just something that comes to mind. Maybe you guys have an alternative illustration that may be helpful. Yeah, I think that's well sort of painted, Gavin. You know, I, I have a client that I'm working with now that you know, in our coaching conversations has reached a level of depth to some degree that I haven't seen in other clients and coaches that I work with. So really able to understand and articulate their their family system, how their relationship with their siblings and their parents deeply impacted them. 
and really open to being vulnerable with me in that way, right? And saying, these are the things that are hard with me. And this person in particular, we've been talking through a couple of key sort of goals that they have for coaching. So they know what they want to work on. And, and one is possibly choosing a new career path that feels more purposeful for them uh, or not letting go of a story because it's been so shaped by uh, the relationship with their parents and 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 the issue of confidence where this person has over time because they lack so much internal confidence and sort of intrinsic sense of self-worth has actually become a really successful leader as a result of it because they're always thinking three steps ahead about what other people are going to think, what other people think about them, how to read the room, how to work the room. And even when they get positive feedback, that positive feedback will be in one ear and out the other two minutes later because they lack that inner sense of self-worth, right? And it's, well, on the surface, people might not see what's going on. It's actually sort of the internal experience of the torture that it causes them. And so they're so aware of what this issue is and the way it's been shaped in them. But then when we get to the point of, all right, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to change this story? How are we going to change our relationship with that story? That's where the buck stops, right? And sometimes they'll just laugh at me and just say like, no, I'm not going to do it. No, I can't do it. I'm curious if you two can relate. I'm seeing smiling faces and nodding heads. So maybe you can. just interesting when you frame it like that though Megan it's you know and I've had you know not something exactly like that but examples like that where you know in my mind I'm wondering so well why is that and you know hence our conversation today and it's quite difficult to pin down Mm. why somebody isn't going to go there and what would it take for them to move forward with that and I just think kind of as you said in in the beginning of that it's hard work right it's really hard work you know, cognitively and emotionally, it's hard work. So I think that is one reason why people don't go there. But it's moving them from the intellectual understanding of it to the kind of, well, let's actually do something. At Sloan, we talk a lot about experiments, right? Experimentation and, you know, small behavioral experiments that can help people move along. But even in examples like this, that doesn't happen. Right. I think that part of what we just as human beings prefer is like homeostasis, you know, I mean, we are so comfy cozy by the time we're whatever, 35, 45, you know, in our lives and our careers, like this is who I am. This is how I operate. This is, you know, and shifting gears, as you say, requires a lot of work. So when I think about like what would open the doors to considering the small experiments or, you know, making a real change, I think about I have to let go of either a way that I view myself or a story I've told myself or just there is a sense of loss if I actually take that leap to change my behavior, even if it's small. And I always say that the small changes actually have really big impact, not just on us, but the people that we're leading. And so it will be noticed. And so it's like, this is who I see myself to be. And if I make a change, will I still be that? Yeah, that's where I was going. It's to extend that loss to, oh, I won't be me anymore, or I won't be able to do what I was doing before and therefore be successful. Right. Right. I think that we get really super attached to whatever image we put forward in the world, especially in work. 
in our personal lives, we may reveal more of our rough edges and, you know, darker sides, etc. We might be more dimensional in our personal lives. But at work, I think, you know, like, this is my role. This is my standing in the organization. This is what people know me to do and be. And, you know, to do something different. I remember not long ago, Nikki, an example of somebody you'd worked with who was in danger of flaming out. You know, it's a finance role, I think, or a senior person. And it was a danger of flaming out. And intellectually, they knew who they were and how they were being perceived. And the only reason they changed was because of a crisis, right? Exactly. They were going to be fired, right? So I think that's the same in our personal lives, right? There's the crisis. We kind of have to re-examine the story we've told ourselves. Is that the only way that these kind of folks who intellectually get it will actually shift? It's a good question. I think crises light fires under us for sure. And even that doesn't necessarily create change, right? No. I'd rather be fired than, than actually go there. <laughs> <laughs> and do the work. Yeah, I think one of the what that brings up for me, Gavin, though, is firing or the potential to be fired and let go lights a fire because it, there's a sense of purpose there, right? There's a why. There's a why do I need to make this change? The why is I don't want to get fired. And so for many leaders that I'm working with, that's where we need to start is the why, right? So we might start early in our coaching with what's your purpose as a leader? What's your mission as a leader? And it's going to feel touchy-feely that I'm having you write down a purpose statement. But that's so that when we get to this point of I've learned something about myself that I want to change, we go back to that purpose statement, right? Like that's your why of the kind of leader that you want to be. And if you keep doing this, you don't get to do that, right? Which often is about the impact I want to have on other people, the impact I want to have on the business. So I do think the crisis is like a big capital W-Y, right? But there's other ways, I think, to maybe pull in the Y for people to have a reason to make that change. Because if there's no reason, why would I change this thing that maybe isn't totally working for me, but in many respects has worked for me in a lot of different ways? Right. And I think that's the point exactly, Megan, is that it works you know, most of the time, right? But, and I love the way that you frame that because basically, you know, if I see that I'm not going to get to where I'm going to get to, if I don't change at all, then yes, that's a perfectly great reason to make some change. Yeah, and one of the things that I often joke about with my clients is that part of the fear, right, is that this thing that I do, because the story is, which is true, this has served me in so many ways. And so the lie I tell myself is, it's always serving me, right? And the fear is it'll go away if I one time try the new way, right? Or if I develop new patterns. And the thing we joke about is, it's never going away. Whether you like it or Mm -hmm. not, this Mm -hmm. thing is with you. It is encoded in you. So let's just pay attention to that, right? And you can put it in your back pocket and not let it drive the bus all the time. But trust me, right? Like, it's going nowhere. And that's not to be like fatalist about it, but it's just going to keep rearing its head. So how do we like, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, just learn to dance with it a little bit. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's, that's an interesting framing, Megan. What's a story about me and what's a lie I'm telling myself? That's a great way of framing it. So, okay. So crisis is clearly one and maybe that's quite a wide spectrum because if you're leading a team, You've been reasonably successful, but these behaviors are starting to let you down, whatever they might be. And then you, you're up for promotion. You get promoted to a more responsible role, and there's no imminent kind of 
crisis there because it's not exhibited yet. What's going to be other impetus for for shifting from this intellectual understanding to taking action, right? Because I can tell you guys, and I'm sure you have, I've had every year I will have a couple of people that I'm coaching that will say all the right things and say they understand all the right things about how to self-develop and how to turn inward and reflect. And every time I see them, nothing's changed. And they're still saying those things, but without really their behavior being, you know, any adaptation of it. And again, I have to say to you, those are the sort of people I struggle with. The conversations and the coaching kind of peters out because it won't progress. So I have that experience as well. And, you know, it's just coaching somebody earlier this week who's, that's pretty much the story, right? In spite of the fact that he has also, you know, done some more revealing work, et cetera. And I got a little tougher with him, but I go back to my previous profession as therapist and, you know, understand that also we don't change until we're ready. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that can be external forces, but I think also it's internal forces as well. Okay. When is that moment that it doesn't feel so monumental or so scary or so identity shattering or whatever Mm. it is, Mm. when is that moment when I can breathe into that issue and take some baby steps? So I did think of something else as you were talking there, which is really a kind of back to the external. I'm thinking back now, there's probably a couple of examples. So the type of coaching that the three of us do, executive coaching, is is very much relational, right? So we we are trying to build a strong rapport with individuals who who we can get to know very well and they can get to know us. And I do think that approach is more successful than some other approaches to advice, mentoring, and coaching, which tend to stay on the process or methodological you know, path. If we are trying to really deeply understand the other person as a human being, I think that becomes an external stimulus rather like a spouse can be or a a really close friend can be to say, look, if you carry on doing this, there's going to be a problem. So I think as I think about it, that's my only tactic so far has been kind of to double down there. That's a great point, Gavin. I mean, because when you're in these coaching relationships and, you know, our goal is to listen and support and guide and, you know, all those other things. And so now you've given us another complicated layer in this whole thing. So in the course of this safe and productive relationship, that is the coaching relationship, they can get to a lot of the cognitive and historical and family and intellectual and insight they actually can do a good chunk of the work inside the coaching relationship. And then they have to go out into the world and do something different. And so, and Megan, you're telling the stories of like, and then they just refuse to do it. So it's sort of like, you know, like when we're young, right? And we have an adult who sort of nurtures some aspect of ourselves now, you know, we read the book to them and then we say, okay, I think you can read, you go ahead and read it yourself. Oh no. You know, it's like taking the developmental leap 
to be more autonomous. You yes. Know, child, yes. Right. Yes. And and there's an equivalent in adulthood, right? It's taking the leap to let go of the coach's hand and walk across the street by themselves. Well, could you just repeat that quote you you said earlier? Was it from Maya Angelou? Right. Maya Angelou says that most of us actually don't mature. And she said, because it's really difficult to do. Most of us will be in relationships and buy houses and have children and get jobs and pay parking tickets and taxes. But that she calls aging, not maturing. And that the work of maturing is what we're talking about here, right? Yeah. It's sort of confronting the stories. What's a lie? What's the truth? It's behaving like an adult where you can let go of somebody's hand and cross the street by yourself and try something new. I think that we all know from our own personal experience, you don't have to be a psychologist to know this. In our adult being, we still carry a child's perspective, a child's needs, a child's everything, right? In spite of the fact that we're grown-ass people. Hmm. You know, so it's it's challenging. And I think that those moments of change really activate that younger feeling. Yeah, you know what? That's so well said, Nikki. And I think that, you know, we were talking as we were sort of warming up for this about compassion, right? Self-compassion for ourselves as leaders that we're trying to instill in, in our clients that it is really hard and the barrier can be, this is really scary, right? And compassion that, you know, you can realize that the way that you were brought up and that the way that you were shaped as a young child has sort of encoded in you some of these ways of showing up that both serve you and get in your way. And you could look at those from an adult perspective without judgment and without shame on yourself, without shaming your family or your family system for doing that. So to bring a little bit of compassion to it, because it is so hardwired and encoded in you, right? So it's both emotional and cognitive, but it's also really physical the way that it shows up, right? That scariness comes up in the sweating when we think mm -hmm. about making change or the way that we're breathing and freezing up. And so to just create some space in coaching to bring a little bit of compassion to that, to be able to make that purposeful choice of, is this something that I want to try to change right now, right? And if so, we got to slow it down and just bring some compassion that, okay, it's nobody's fault, but this is the story now, right? And I get to, if I want to, I get to choose to change the story and it's going to be really scary, but am I naming now that it's going to be worth it, right? I can change, like for myself, when I was working inside of organizations, I learned with my own coach that, you know, a way that I learned to show up in the world was just to take care of my own shit, right? Like do my work, work really hard, not bother anybody else and just get things done. And I would get love and accolades and succeed in that way. And that really, really worked for me. And it works for me as a coach now, right? Like I've created a career where I don't really have to answer to anybody but my clients. But when I was in a thousand plus person organization and I had a 10 person plus team and I needed to start asking for a bigger budget, or asking for headcount, things that to me, everybody else just seemed to do without any sort of problem. I would freeze up anytime I had to go into a conversation and ask for what not only I needed, but my team needed. And I could get along as an individual contributor and just keep not asking for what I needed. But now I have a team of 10 plus people, right, who are relying on me to ask for this thing. So for me, it became really important to go, all right, this isn't just about me anymore. This is about this impact it's having on all these people who rely upon me. 
and it's not a crisis, but I need to get get through and over whatever we're saying around this thing in order to be able to be the leader that I say I want to be, right? So I need to identify that there's, again, that why. I have a strong why for doing this. And this piece of me, as we were talking about earlier, it's never going away. But in these moments, I need to learn how to do something with it to be the kind of leader that I want to be. Uh, that's interesting because I would then, that's a great example for me, Megan, because I would connect that illustration to what you said earlier about the why, which you just did, but also to your mm. value system. Mm. You know, I, hang on a minute, yeah. I don't want to let down these other people. And, mm. you know, so the sort of impetus for changing a behavior is coming from those two sources. I think also it illustrates the idea that scale is important. So, I think it's helpful for all of us to know if this is our story, but clearly the story has been successful for us till now. But wait a minute, the story is just starting to blur at the edges a bit. I need not change the whole story and get it all into focus suddenly. What I need to do is understand which small element of the story is blurred and then change that, right? And then if necessary, I can keep going and change other elements of the story. But just landing and going, wow, that story's blurred and I don't know what to do with it and I can't. You know, I just think there are these kind of hooks for us. So there's something about the scale, there's something about your value system, your the why, there's something about a crisis that, you know, all these sort of elements can help you change. But in summary, I guess, to boil down, we, yeah, you have to exactly. want to. <laughs> exactly. I, I love what you both just said. And Megan, thanks for, um, we, by the way, Megan, we all have those moments at work too. On other episodes, Gavin and I will reveal those <laughs> critical moments. How not to be fired by Gavin. I, I believe <laughs> it. They're great ones. <laughs> yeah. So this has been really, really interesting and fascinating. And I think as we've talked about it, what becomes apparent to me is I feel like this is one of those conversations that happens behind the curtains, and I'm appreciative that we open the curtain and let everybody in because, look, change is hard. And even with a coach that supports your every move, it's still hard. It's still hard. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Good chat. So, yeah, we'll come back soon and uh, look forward to seeing you then. ta Bye-bye. Toodles. <laughs> <laughs>